Welcome to the Refresh Podcast, a refresh look at life's spiritual applications. And I'm here with Anthony Sanders and Jeff Sherrill. How you brothers doing? doing What's going right, on? Man? My name is Jonas Adams. And it's a pleasure to be here with you all once again. Yes, sir. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. That's all right. That, yeah. means, you, that means you're working. That work, That's that exactly job is what going it means. Good. That's exactly what it means. Got to get that stamina built up and being out the house for 40 hours a week plus. That's right. You know, get that Getting stamina into the swing up. of things. It's more it's starting to feel more like normal. Congratulations again, though. That's a big deal. Yes, it is. Appreciate Especially it. considering who you're working with. She, I'm, I'm a huge admirer. You're talking Michelle Martin? Yeah, I wasn't going to yeah, say man. her name because she ain't been paid. Wow. <laughs> Not way, way to support our fellow black brothers and sisters doing black things. <laughs> that's just <laughs> That's where I, mean, I just don't have to write a check. I don't know what her. Uh, I don't know what's trademarked and what's uh what's copyrighted. This is where we're going today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, man, I've been I learning. Rely on Anthony great, for that check. It's a great mm-hmm. position, man. It's uh, I really felt like I jumped into the building at the right time of NPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm really, you know, adapting the skills I already had and learning a whole bunch of new skills. That's what's up. I think it's they realized how much radio experience I had and was like, oh, yeah, he'll pick all this stuff up real quick. So let's teach it all at the same time. So I was like, whoa, this is a lot. But, you know, fire hose. Yeah. Fire hose method. I'm drinking from the fire hose. That has been numerous times that analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Sipping, trying to sip from the fire hose. So, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. been a lot, but I've been I've been handling it. So we all good, good, man. man. How y'all doing? You built, you built for this. You built for this. Yes. Yes. I I'm well, man. You that. You well? I'm well. Yeah, man. We two weeks out, less than two weeks out now from uh our, our, our next and return to the motherland. So that's got me really, really geeked. I'm excited. Um, Anthony and I have somehow found a way to turn um uh our lives into an annual trip where we get together, whether it includes others or um, it's just he and I, and so he's going to go too. And so we're going to do some uh, mission work over there. I'm going to do some, watch this, check this out. I have come up. I'm going to do some guest lecturing at the Bible college. Not I feel pretty pre- impressed with myself. You know? Yeah. Good so stuff, I mean, I'm congratulations gonna, on that. I appreciate it. I'm excited about that. And then, I'm just going you know, to carry his books. <laughs> he's going to go over there and bless a lot of amazing people with his gift and his with talent. My, so with my for him, skills. for him, he's going to spend time in the ER doing what he does for a living. But the beauty of what he's doing is it's going to change people's lives in a way that's almost miraculous. Not that he doesn't do that now here in his work, but when he goes, he, he he's trying to be modest because this is his God work. And I appreciate that, but I just got to blow, blow all of the, blow all of the accolades in his direction because he goes over there and he does some amazing work. I've actually had a chance to stand in the ER or the OR with him while he's working. And uh, man, it's just, it's just amazing what he does. So yeah, we're super stoked about that. At least I am. That's what's up, man. That's, I mean, um, I'm I know carrying a lot books people, and water. Yeah. See, now see, he keeps saying that he's carrying books and water for you. Which means right. what? Which means what? He's not carrying books and water. Right. He is going to go and do an amazing work, and he's just trying to be humble, which yeah. is not really his MO. So I don't know why he's doing that. The equivalent for me <laughs> would be when people say, hey, man, let me carry your uh, let me let me carry your speakers or let me carry your records. And I don't have records no more. But um, 
So what would be the equivalent for that for Anthony? Like for the to work. Like so we can tag along with him on stuff. Like, hey man, let me carry your scalpel. Fill in the blank. What, what <laughs> let me it? carry that fallopian tube. Yeah, what, what? <laughs> yeah. This, every time I think I'm the one that has the least amount of sense. You know what? I am very glad that we're talking about mental health today because y'all's is in question. <laughs> I mean, you know. Water's still wet for me. You know, gonna speak. <laughs> you know I heard it earlier. Water's still wet. Water is go. still wet. There you go. Yeah, we are talking about mental health today. Uh, mental health um, as it relates to black men. Um, and, you know, let me add in a caveat. Not just black men, but men of color. Um, because the truth of the matter is, is that I'm learning after working in this field for as long as I have that, I, I see less men of color, um, fewer black men um, receiving counseling and support for some of the things that they deal with. Um, and I kind of want to hit it from two angles uh, because there's a real issue within the African-American community as it relates to um, mental health disorder, which is something that's a diagnosable issue. And then the psychosocial stressors of life, which are the things that come at you as it relates to just living life on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we opened up our last conversation talking about the loss of life that we that black men continue to experience in this com- country at the hands of police officers. And um, albeit uh, a health crisis, as Dr. Sanders said last week, it's also very much so uh, a chief and primary psychosocial stressor that black men deal with. So we definitely got to talk about that, but I definitely don't want to leave out the whole aspect of mental health as it relates to mental health disorder, which goes unchecked in uh, African-American men and probably in the black community at large. That's kind of a broad term though, right? Which one? Mental health disorder. Yeah, it is. My understanding, if I don't want to cut you off, my understanding is, and you help me, is that it includes things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, substance use disorders, and the like. Um, and are you are you suggesting, maybe even just outright saying, that kind of all of those things are where um, men of color, black men especially, since that's the three of us, are lacking, or is there a specific piece under in the underneath that uh, mental health disorders umbrella that you see a a lack? I think they lack seeking treatment and support to work through those challenges overall. Um, So when I say mental health disorder, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's depression, whether it's schizophrenia, which is a huge thing um, that doesn't get talked about as much anymore. And it should be, it should be put right back to the center stage because I'm seeing a higher level of uh, black men uh, with schizophrenia and don't even know they have it. Um, so yeah, mental health disorder is yeah a brush stroke for the entire field of mental health. Um, but I- I'm talking specifically about those diagnosable things that if you came and saw me, I wouldn't just be working with you on the counseling piece of it, but I would be getting involved with um, you know psychiatrists and 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 primary care physicians in terms of making sure that there's some medication support that you're receiving for the challenges that you're facing due to the mental health disorder. Mm. Now, is this something where are we going to talk about this from the angle of 
why our community seems to have seems to be lacking in uh, seeking mental health, because I know I had uh, kind of hinted at that before when we were talking about uh, just health in general, as far as like the things of sort of like why we aren't why why did our community seems to be lacking in that area mainly because it's not available to us um, through the jobs that we have as far as health insurance or as far as just being affordable, period. You know, so that's kind of the, where I wanted to go with mental health today. I think a lot of us in our community would seek it if we, one, could afford it, and two, didn't have such a bad stigma around it. You know, you know, it's like, oh man, you going, you going to therapy? What's wrong with you? You know, oh, oh, I already knew, I knew you was crazy. You know, and that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, we're we're not talking about that here. Um, what we're talking about right here is the stigma that's associated with access, as well as the lack of access that's created by systems, right? Um, so that's two sides. It's two problems that um, are very challenging for Black men to um, get past. Um, and uh, in some instances, the reason why I brought up uh, schizophrenia is those barriers being almost insurmountable and creating um, just deeper issues of um, that could be resolved if they're you know detected earlier. Um, mental health in our community is not looked at the way I think it should be all the time. Uh, we spend way too much time talking about the fact that, oh, I'm not going to go sit down and tell my business to anyone, not knowing that me understanding your business or you, me understanding what you're dealing with in a day-to-day cycle, your day-to-day life cycle of life um, is advantageous for me to understand how to help you better and to present avenues of access for um, you resolving those issues if they're resolvable. So in my line of work, um, of course, I deal strictly with people um, born with two X chromosomes. So I don't see black men uh, in the office at all. However, I do, well, I should say as patients, I do see whenever counseling comes up in general, it commonly is what you just talked about, Jeffrey, where it's, well, I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want people all in my business. I don't like talking to people that I don't know. Um, how then do well two questions i guess this is an interview for uh, our mental health expert on the on the pod how how then thank you jonas when, for showing up today thank you for showing up jonas. you're very welcome because you know this is right in my wheelhouse yeah you know, we, right we, two for two, we two for two with our uh with our pods in a row here for jonas talking to people for jonas yeah about this stuff that's what um, it says on my so, credentials <laughs> rightly, rightly so <laughs> So how do how do we overcome that? Uh, how do we uh, encourage others? Like not even from a because a lot of times people will uh, listen to me because of my station, my position. I'm coming at them for whatever good or bad. Um, physicians have an authority in the minds of people, right? So I'll will often listen to what our doctor says and do what our doctor says our doctor says because our doctor said it but i i 
like to let people know that I'm Dr. Sanders in the confines of my office and my practice while I'm working, just so that they know that I'm not, I don't want to be that outside of there for a lot of different reasons. I just want to be me, right? So as I'm coming at people that I see need mental health, a treatment uh, for many different reasons, it's, well, how do I approach that person who knows that and then the the uh, follow-up to that is how do you break that barrier down um that pe- like i'm one of them i'll be honest with y'all i don't like talking to y'all are my therapist because <laughs> talking to a person that i don't know is a challenge just in general if i'm not, if it's not like my job to do it i talk to people i don't know six to seven days out of the week you know because of my job. But outside of that, I'm not really trying to talk to people. I keep to myself. My, my circle is small. I've mentioned that before in the podcast. I don't like, I'm not going to expand this too much. So how do we, how do we do that? And how do you do that? So the great opportunity that's presented to someone in your field in particular is that you you likely know someone that you can refer to, that you can convince someone that they can trust to at least have an initial conversation, get that mm-hmm. consult out the way. Um, and that's what I tell people to encourage people to do starting out. Uh, if, if they never, if a person never gets in a room, then they can never really acquiesce or determine whether or not they're able to um, engage in the process, like, because they don't, they don't trust it. And so it's the, the, the conversation on consultation. Hey, I know this may be uncomfortable or maybe this isn't something that you um, really think that is needed. But how about considering uh, just going and seeing somebody on a consult, just get their second opinion on what they see or get their view on what what they're hearing um, and getting them in the room. I think that's where it starts. So um, engaging a person, whether you're a, a, another professional or you're just a brother at arms, uh, engaging a person in the idea of getting the consultation and just talking to um, a mental health professional, whether it's a psychiatrist or um, someone that's a mid-level practitioner like myself. And so I think that's where it starts. I think that's the aim that I encourage people to take. It's don't go to, don't, don't, please try not to use this line. You need to go to therapy. It's never going to work. It's not mm-hmm. going to be, uh, it, 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 it has too much stigma. It carries too much weight. But what it if they need to, to go to therapy? But What's a better I, I way hear, to say it? <laughs> have you, you considered, to, yeah. have you considered consulting with somebody on what this might be about just to see if you can get some more insight? And feedback. Ah. If I say consulting to someone, especially a, a, a well-minded or forward-thinking um, individual, that person is more than likely going to um, take it into consideration with a lot greater gravity than they would um, if I said, you need to go to therapy. Um, I, I just think that those lines right there carry too much stigma um, and because the stigma is there, um, it causes people to avoid and, and, and shy away from it. Um, so I think that's the first part of the conversation. And then when they get in the room, uh, especially with me, um, I, I'm, I love the fact that my hope and my joy is just to hear their story. Um, and I, I create 
I've been trained to create this environment, but it's also been a blessing that it's one of my gifts. I create an environment where a person could come in and say just about anything and not be judged for it. Um, you know, and when I say just about, I want you all to understand that I do uh, as a um, uh, uh, a required. I'm, I'm required by law <laughs> to to say if you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, to the authorities. I have to protect you from you. And then I'm also required by law to protect others from you if you're, you know, homicidal, suicidal, or, you know, you're harming children. So I, I have the mandatory reporter part, part of it. And, and you know, that goes with just about any other professional that works with people. So uh, I am a mandatory reporter. But other than those issues, it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation in most instances where I'm sitting and we're talking, but I'm doing a lot of listening and you're sharing your story. You're sharing um, the conditions and circumstances that are going on in your life. And a good therapist will be able to, and I say good therapist because there's a lot of therapists that are not. Um, so I, I'll qualify myself as one of the better ones. Um, it's going to ask the questions of yeah. how they got from where they are or from where they were to where they are. Um, and begin to see the, the the different bricks and mortar that built up the the challenges that a person faces, um, and you're able to really quickly determine whether or not a person is dealing with you know just the psychosocial stressors of life, and they need someone to 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 help them work through those issues, or if a person's dealing with something that's deeper than that. And that's where that whole, you know, diagnosable mental health disorder stuff comes from the, 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 the major depressions, the, the um, generalized anxiety disorders, um, all the way up to, you know, the schizophrenia and things of that nature. It's pretty heavy. It's heavy stuff, man. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the main reasons a lot of people don't go to therapy as well. Cause if, you know, when someone's telling them you need to go to therapy and the first thing they're going to do is get defensive. Like, what you mean? Ain't nothing wrong with me. You know, and nobody's right. saying that anything is necessarily wrong with you, but you just might need to find someone to, like you said, not judge them, but um, still like just to work some things out, you yeah. know, but if they don't never find someone they're comfortable with to talk to about it, you know, does the problem have a greater chance of festering into something bigger? Absolutely. I mean, that's just like anything else. Um, you know, if you're if you're dealing with a persistent cough and after, you know, a couple of months of trying to treat it over the counter at home, um, you decide, oh, you know, it'll go on, away on its own. And then later on, you know, seven, eight months down the line, you find yourself in the hospital and they discover that you've got something going on with your respiratory system. And I'm not going to throw out the C word because it, it doesn't have to be that. Um, but you, you have a persistent issue. Um, that you're trying to remedy on your own. COVID. That and oh, cancer. I, 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 don't think that cancer. Was, that was, I don't think that was a C word. He was. I, I, I <laughs> thought cancer. You was thinking yeah. cancer, Jeff? I was okay. thinking cancer. Um, right. but COVID well, you, too, yeah. Well, you said, too, C, but I think, you said C word, and I felt like people needed some clarification. Well, I, I appreciate was, it. COVID was and cancer, say the C words. cigar. Maybe they smoke cigars. They no, might. Sorry, so, I, I'm cigars. sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> so it's 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 okay we're not off the rails yet well let's let's steer back in the right direction we um, need counseling but, another c word there you go it's another c word but again they show up to a practitioner having these existing conditions that they've been trying to remedy and they let go for too long and now they're dealing with um a crisis 
but they're dealing with a crisis and it's always or not always it's it's unfortunate that consistently it's the crisis that leads a person to getting um the treatment and there's an opportunity that oh <laughs> there's an opportunity that they can um remedy or prevent themselves from entering into crisis if they go sooner than later i like your approach um particularly the uh from a from a we're on the same level standpoint because you you were right about you know i can i've got counselors in my office i can tell people to start talking to and you know if they trust me they generally will trust um they'll generally trust the people that i send them to but then you know i honestly don't have a consistent person i can send uh my my man's to in town you know what i mean mm -hmm. i can't say um hey man i think you might need to talk to this person even when the person trusts me because so saying things like hey what do you think about or have you considered i like mm -hmm. that approach better than um absolutely you, then you need this and you need that and 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 that goes for the dignity in any type of uh, healthcare service, right? Like yeah. I I I'm remiss to say to somebody, um, you need to go see your doctor about that. I, I I try to frame the question in a way that's inviting and engaging. That says to them, you know, have you considered? And that have you considered puts it back into their ballpark as to saying, oh, this isn't a judgmental thing. This is a thing that they're noticing. Maybe I should. Um, seek out, you know, additional professional support in mm -hmm. this area. And so um, it, it, it is, it's huge um, for anyone that's receiving any type of care whatsoever that they have the dignity to be able to choose without being told. And that is a huge thing for black men. Black men um, in, in most instances don't want to be told what they need to do. They want to be invited to to make a choice of mm -hmm. what they can do. Um, and again, that plays into the stigma and the, the distance that black men in themselves place between um, receiving counseling and therapy and mental health treatment and, and not. So we talked about a little bit, Jonas mentioned earlier, like, just like he talked about with um, our health in general, or access to it and the lack thereof. Um, speak speak on that a little bit. Okay. It's kind of, I know it's just kind of a general, very broad thing to maybe talk about, but no, it's it's a real thing. It's the it's it's the thing to talk about. Again, you're talking about a population of people who haven't grown up with the, you know the things that say the, the, the majority culture, and I'm quote and unquote on the majority, the quote unquote majority culture did grow up with. Um, access is a huge thing. And so um, African-Americans, black men, um, haven't been raised for the most part in households where that was a primary source of support. It was very secondary and it was only after things had hit that crisis point. Um, unfortunately, representation matters huge in this way because there's not a lot of other black men 
not just black women, because there are some black women, but there's not enough of them. And there's definitely not enough black men that provide for the mental health or the counseling support that black men need to get to. So now you have barriers in terms of, I didn't know it was a resource. Secondarily is now that I know it's a resource, I can't find someone that looks like me. And then I don't even want to get into the conversation about insurance and how it's covered and things of that nature. Medicaid, Medi-Cal and Medicare do a really tremendous job of in, including um, uh, the opportunity and the option to to get these services paid for. But what about your private insurances? Oftentimes, private insurances are very limited on what they're willing to pay for in terms of treatment. And unless you have something that's a firm diagnosis and then there's a clear, consistent treatment plan that's going to help a person move from where they are to healthy, not just where they are to, to, to better, but they, you know, insurance companies expect you to be better for this. That's just why they pay for the services. I'm only willing to pay for 10 services. And I hope that within 10 services, you're better. You can reach out to us for more than that, but it becomes harder and harder the longer the problem persists to continue to maintain some type of coverage in that area. And at some point you max out. So, um, Access is huge. It's a problem. Um, black, black men, black people in general, just don't have access to counseling services and mental health services the way they should because, uh, again, there's you know the barriers that I just spoke about. You said something that was really interesting to me right there, just the fact that they would put a number on it as if there's a specific number of counseling sessions or sessions that they should go to to where they should just be cured yeah, or all better. You know, this yeah. isn't a thing of where, oh, man, you you – you got to, you scraped your knee outside here, put this disinfected, put a bandaid on it. And, you know, you should be good in a few days. Yeah. You know, this is way more complex than that we're talking about um, mental health. So for an insurance company to just put a certain number of free sessions um, on, you know, or put a cap, <laughs> put a cap limit on the amount of sessions that you can get that they will pay for, you know, right. that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's it's not. Uh, it's not realistic either. And here's the funny thing you said that they'll pay for and that's free. And it's the truth of the matter is it's not free. Um, people right. will come to practice with, um, uh, with private insurance and they're still required to pay their copay, mm -hmm. but it's a specialist copay. So whereas you go see your primary care, you might only have to pay, you know, $25, $40 out of pocket for your copay to come to see a therapist. You're still paying almost a full rate for that counseling hour um, in your, your, your copay. So they may wind up paying $80, $90 to go and see a therapist. Now you've created that gap again that keeps a black person, a black man from going and getting counseling. Uh, you mean to tell me my insurance covers this, but I still got to pay $90 up front or even worse, your yeah. insurance covers this, but you have to pay the therapist their full dollar amount up front and then we'll reimburse you what we uh, think we right. should give you. Like, There's I don't so have much nuance. <laughs> right. Yeah. The whole reason for me needing counseling the insurance. Is, is, is the whole reason for me having insurance is so that I, I'm, I'm not burdened to receive whatever treatment I need. And so uh, again, the access piece is huge, um, but I, I, I don't wanna just minimize that, mi minimize um, the stigma to access because the other reason why black men won't go to counseling is because um, 
how do I say this? No, I'm just going to say it how it is. Most of the time they're going to meet with a white woman, middle-aged to young, that does not have any insight into the life that they live. None whatsoever. Yeah. And even if right. they have experience working with a certain population, they still can't connect emotionally with the cultural experience of black men. They try to teach it in, in, in grad school. But the truth of the matter is, is everyone that I've ever connected with, I've always had to sit down and, and on case consultations and say, well, have you considered it this way? Oh, no, I haven't considered it this way. Why should I? Because they're not you. And I mean, that's a broad statement. But to generalize it is to say they're not they're not a white woman in her middle ages or early age. They're not a white man in their middle age or early 20s. They're not they're 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 not you. And that's the most that you'll see in terms of of providers of mental health treatment, especially at the mid mid level like I'm at. There's not a lot of us black men providing this type of service. Wait, you said something else interesting to me. I want to make sure that I understood it correctly. You said. They try to teach it in grad school. And yeah. what is it? Am I understanding this correctly that they tried to teach um, black people? They try to therapists? teach. They try to teach cultural competence to all therapists. And it's a thing in healthcare professions in general right now. Cultural competence has come on pretty strong over the past 15 to 20 years to make sure that you have a presence in a room with a person that doesn't look like you, that gives them comfort to believe in your work. Gotcha. And so there, there's there's that thing. But I remember being at, at grad school and taking a cultural competence class and I'm sitting there, I'm like, and I'm in a, I'm at a school and it was predominantly, you know, the majority culture. I wish y'all could see my hand because I'm going to keep yeah, just say quoting, quotation it's a PWI. Yeah, it's a PWI. Yeah. Okay, we can say it that way too. Yeah, definitely a PWI. And and I'm in a cultural competence class, and these people are just answering questions based on what they read in a book. But then to actually be you, a, a, an ex experienced practitioner so in the space with these you people, you weren't the answer key. Bruh. I feel like you should have been the answer key. I should, the fact they should turn to you like, well, Jeff, is this, is this right? <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of instances they would, but the truth of the matter is, is I'm not your answer key because I'm not every black man. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm just not. I'm not I, a monolith. I, I don't exactly. I don't, I don't identify with black men that came from um, a, a poverty or lower socioeconomic status environment. Cause you've been balling. Balling. Well, no, <laughs> doctor, I'm going to need Ballin. you to refrain, refrain from the options there. <laughs> Listen, I live, I live in the Midwest for a reason, <laughs> but humble, but, humble but, but, beginnings, humble beginnings. Absolutely. And, and, and again, we, we, we didn't have it all, but I, I, my parents did a great job of making sure that we didn't spend time in those circumstances that I'm not able to identify now as in with as a professional. I shouldn't say I'm not able to identify with it, but I didn't experience it myself. And so it, I, I can't be your answer key in class. But yeah, they teach cultural competence. Um, and it's it's a huge thing. And even to the point where when you're um, getting licensed, you know, you've got to ask answer a lot of questions on these licensure exams about cultural competence. What are those exams like? That's what I want to know. What type of questions were on those tests to, to make them say, ha, I know black people 
or I, I know I know Asian people. I know people. The first, of the Latino, first question. Latino the first descendants. question is, what did Radio Raheem have on his rings? Mm, see, that's a good that's question. question. I, if, if that's not yeah. on the test, then just if throw that's the whole not thing on the out. Test, it's not. What's the point? It's, not, it's the useless. Throw test. the whole thing out. These are the important. What's, questions. what's the name of the actor who played Mookie? Yeah, I get you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the, of course, those questions aren't on there. They ask it in a nuanced, uh, underhanded, um, almost misguided way to try and draw you into an aspect of the question that they don't want you to answer. Um, and then you have to read through the, the, the garble and, and, and come up with the right answer. Um, I, I don't, don't get me into that. That's a, that's a rabbit hole. That's a rabbit hole. Don't get me into that one. Um, I think that if the only, uh, therapist that you have available to you happen to be of Caucasian descent, you come up with a 20 question test to see if they can relate to you on black culture. So it could be just all type of Martin references, Spike Lee joints, uh, you know, music questions to see if they can even remotely understand where you may be coming from and how you grew up. And I think, I think too, it's a we come up with answers willingness from um, our white counterparts to under to understand well Jeff's white counterparts to understand as a mental health professional. I say that because I will never have the experience of delivering a, of pushing out a baby. I'll never right. have to carry a child, anything like that. But I do a decent job at my job. I'm all right. One of the best in I'm the state. Of Indiana. Right. So to he's it's it goes to a matter of what are you willing to do to understand the people that you're taking care of? Exactly. Because exactly. I, I have to um and I, I actually got the benefit from like being on the other side because there was a time when I would not necessarily engage everybody in the room. I would be focused on the person that I'm taking care of, but especially when it comes to having a child, they have brought in these other folks, maybe their mom, maybe their uh, Mm. sister, maybe their brother, I've seen it, their dad. It's just people they feel, they feel comfortable having this type of an experience with now. Majority of the time when it's uh, a sibling or an uncle or or a father, they're up at the top of the bed, looking at the wall, (laughs) you know, trying to, absolve themselves from the experience as much as they can. They know that they're there as a support person, et cetera. Obviously the father oftentimes gets um, involved and invited into the, into the delivery room. There's a time when I would just be so honed in on the individual that was um, that I was taking care of that I would neglect questions or interacting with other folks. Okay. Then I was, I experienced that I was, I didn't experience the neglect, but I saw what it was like on the other side and how much I, I I won't say should be involved, but how much my wife wanted me involved Mm. in order to help her get through this experience in the best way possible. You know what I mean? And so what I learned was the um, people taking care of my wife while she was in labor they did engage with the with me. They did right. engage with other people who were there for as her support people. Um, and I thought, and I thought, wow, that's probably something I should do too. Um, 
And so I don't know, I appreciate, because there are studies on studies on studies on studies into infinitum that show the, um, pe that people that look like the people they're taking care of, the outcomes are a lot better. If um, like, if a black patient has a black provider, they tend to come out on the other side of their illness, their disease, their condition, whatever you want to call it in a better way um, from a, because of the aforementioned cultural competency. However, if a person takes the uh, opportunities, the impotence, uh, impotence on themselves in order to engage that community, they very well can be excellent practitioners. There are probably plenty of, I won't even say probably, there are plenty of uh, white practitioners who will do a decent job, if not a great job of taking care of black men and their mental health. That being said, we definitely need more Jeffs in the world. Okay. Because they, try, they don't, well, go ahead. Well, just because we do need people, like I can connect to my black patients because I too am black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can understand, even though I'm not pushing out a baby or dealing with women's health issues that they are gonna deal with, I still can appreciate that their high blood pressure, that their social stressors, that their social or that their access to care may be limited because of the color of their skin. Because that same thing, if not for uh, grace, <laughs> I would uh, be in that same position. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And you're you're absolutely right. I appreciate that you say there should be more Jeffs in the, in, in the room. And I think of what you're really saying is there should be more um, African-American males who practice counseling. Um, and they don't just practice counseling from this, the, the concept and idea of, you know, I'm here to serve all, but to actually have a target um, for their, their practice. And, and for me, that's very real. I'm more inclined to take an African-American male th client on when I don't have time than I am anyone else. Like right now, my case is completely full. But if a black man reached out to me and called me, I would figure out a way to fit him into my current scope right now because I'm recognizing that as they're reaching out, the more they're reaching out, the more of them are getting support. I mean, I, I can only do so much. So at some point, I'm going to be at my... my um, my, my, my breaking point in terms of just doing too much, but that's definitely my target audience for um, the practice that I'm building right now. Um, but let me add to that um, and what you said, Anthony, yes, you, connecting with your, your clients, um, your patients um, uh, culturally is, is absolutely um, important. It's fantastic. It's a great thing to do, but black men, let's, I I know enough black men that do not trust white people in general, let alone to trust them in this area, which is more sacred because it's not in their mind health care related. Um, mm. They don't see we don't see mental health and counseling as health care related. It's more of a this is my feelings talk. This is my emotions. This is my experience. This is not a medical condition. And in some instances, and probably I would say 
probably at least 50% of those instances, it actually is a me- medical condition. Um, the, the impact of depression and anxiety on, um, you know, the other, uh, latent conditions that a person might have such as high blood pressure or, um, hypoglycemia and things of that nature are significant. So you have this doctor who's treating medically, um, the high blood pressure and the, the diabetes, um, but you're still also having, um, issues with it because you haven't worked on the mental health and the emotional health aspect of that same condition. And so you're only able to get so far and black men won't trust, you know, a person that doesn't look like them, that doesn't have an experience that they have as often as they would if it were in a medical environment, um, solely. Like I, I think black men don't have a problem going to seeing a white doctor near as much as they have a problem going to seeing a white therapist. There are some um, Hmm. arguments, appropriately so, and I think it has helped in the advancement of the treatment of mental health disorders in general that would say that 100% of mental health disorders should be considered a medical condition. Yeah, Um, 100% of them are. Go ahead. To echo on what you all were saying about um, Black men having the resource or having having the luxury of being able to see a black therapist or a black doctor. Um, I want black mechanics. I want yeah. black chefs. Like it just, it's way outside of just, you know, you know, just health with me. Mm-hmm. If I'm at the store, I want the person checking me out to be black. I want the person that's running the self-checkout to be black. Like I, you know, if I, even if I'm at a Wendy's, I go to the drive through I want the person talking to the speaker to say, go ahead. Oh man, it's a brother in there. Uh oh. You know, that's what give, give me an extra apple pie. Give me an extra check apple it out. Pie. Um, also, uh, I wanted to go back to something that Anthony was saying, what well, both of you were saying earlier about, you know, just being comfortable. And when he said something to the lines of, it's, it slipped my memory earlier and I just got it back. But, you know, I don't want to tell people all my business, you know, mm-hmm. and which is what a lot of us share that same sentiment with going to therapy. But a lot of us don't know that um, you there are consequences for the therapist sharing your business. Right. Like, so I, um, and a lot of people may not realize just how severe those consequences are. So could you um, kind of break that down for us? I know you said that you have a uh, um, legal liability to alert the authorities if this person may be suicidal or and you know might harm themselves or they might harm someone else like you have a legal responsibility to report that otherwise you could be held liable too am i correct absolutely if if someone were to come into my practice and say that they have a plan a means an intent to kill themselves and i don't report that um i am going to be held accountable for the loss of life Period. It's just going to be what it is. It's the same way if they came in and said, I'm going to go and kill somebody or I'm going to go and beat somebody up really bad or beat somebody up in general. Uh, I'm, I can be held liable for that if I don't report it. I can be held liable if a person comes in and they even imply that they're interested in doing something inappropriate with a kid, whether it be sexual or physical violence. Those things I have to report. That is a requirement for me to breach confidentiality. In no other circumstance is it okay for me to breach confidentiality. I cannot just choose who I talk to about your business. I have to have your first 
first I have to have your approval. And then behind your approval also comes um, the signed release that says I can talk to a certain person about your circumstance or situation. But I have to get your permission first. So, this, you know, this you know, it, it's not a HIPAA law. It's a confidentiality law. It's a requirement mm-hmm. of my field. And, and it's it's it, it's put in place to ensure that the person that comes into the room can actually work on the things that they're coming into the room for. So to have a lack of trust in that person is 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 real because you don't know whether or not you're going to get a person that's going to just be loose lipped. But most people actually that do this career want to keep doing it. I want to keep my job. I want to keep being able to support and um, provide care for for black men and and for people in general. And so I'm held to the legal standard as well as the ethical standard not to disclose information that would put you at risk of being exposed. So and unless you're telling me something that I have to report I'm not saying anything to anyone. In fact, even when I do case consultations with one of the organizations I work for, I don't mention race. I don't mention initials. I don't mention um, where you're from. Literally, the only identifier I have is I have a male and I have a person, a male that's this age. and, and, And that's my only identifiers. And I make it such that when I'm talking about the case, I can speak in generalities and get insight and feedback on how to continue to serve that person. But I can't go into that room and just say, yeah, you know, Jamal came in the other day and he was telling me that, you know, he feel like, you know, every time he thinks about his mama, his heart starts to race. And, you know, and, and when I was talking to Jamal and, and I told my wife everything that Jamal was going through, she immediately told me, you know what, Jamal probably need to go and I can't do that. That's not that's not allowed in our field. Um, and the so, cost of and, it would be your job. Like you have severe consequences for that. It's the cost of it would be my job and hey, joy, joy. Uh, the cost of it would be my job. The cost of it would be my ability to practice. The cost of it would be my, um, in, in some instances, legal. I mean, I can be sued for sure, but uh, take it a step further. Some people have gone to prison for this, you know, breach of confidentiality, especially in an instance where they shared something they absolutely should not have shared. And so, um, you know, like some people will, breach confidentiality and good faith thinking that they're doing the right thing and find out later on, like, nah, you, you had a legal and an ethical responsibility not to breach confidentiality, even though you felt like you should have, and you are now accountable for that breach of confidentiality. So it's real. There's standards within our industry that tell people that you just can't go out and tell people's business. So if that's the reason why you're not seeking support, if that's the reason why you're not going to get therapy, then let me put that one to rest right away. Um, It's, not something that we can just go out and just choose to talk freely about your, your the things that you're sharing with me. I've had days where I've heard some doozies and all I can do is just be like, wow, I don't even document it in a progress note because it, you know, someone else is at some point going to look at that progress note. And I'm like, nah, I don't want anyone to know this about that person. And so I, I will say we had a candid conversation about this subject but they don't get to know what the, uh, the conversation was. Like, I'm, how did I'm that even, make you feel? Mm, I'm, yeah, kind of a little bit. Sort so of. You don't go like home that. like, baby, I, I can't. This person wears stripes with polka dots. <laughs> <laughs> this person is lo- woo, no Looney Tunes. I, you can't do that. Like, 
No, we, we, we cannot do that right. in our field. It's just not, it's not allowed. But again, that does not mean that, 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 that should provide you a buffer for the trust, but that doesn't build the trust, right? The, the, the trust only gets built within the therapeutic relationship, having someone that can talk to you and you not feel judged about the thoughts or the things that you're saying. And that's a huge, like, that's a huge separator. A lot of brothers um, just don't want to feel like you're be, they're being judged. And I, I've, I've had instances where people have come in my office and say, I feel like you're going to judge me for what I'm about to say. And, I'm, and I always tell them, you should try me. Try me on that. And they're like, well, I don't know if I can. And I try to use my track record in, in most instances. It's like, have you ever, you know, especially when it's an existing client, have you ever experienced me judging you for something? What was that like for you? Or when did, and when did you think that was? And nine times out of 10, they can't come up with an instance. If they do come up with an instance where they thought I was judging them, then I'm always able to remind them that. Now, I don't think it was judgmental. I think the, my line of questioning made it feel un, 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 judgmental. And that's on me. I could have done a better job of asking questions in a different way, but I wasn't judging you because everyone deserves a right to be heard and to work through the challenges that they have. Damn right. Definitely. And yep. what's the point of even going to therapy if you're not going to be able to feel comfortable enough to share? That's the whole point of any kind of health care, mental health, physical health. You got to be able to trust the person you're talking to that they will not only consider your situation for you as an individual, but also how are they going to manage the situation and are they going to manage it to my benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, and not just to my benefit, but how is this going to end up benefiting my uh, my family? Because I think especially just uh, running through with that line of thought as um, black men, men in general, we're um, invited or expected even to be um, providers. So is this health issue, is this issue that I'm dealing with going to help me provide for my family more? And I think we as black men don't understand that it would. If I am more mentally sound, then I can be a better uh, partner. If I'm in a relationship, I can be a better father. If I have children, I can be a better brother. I can even be a better son. I can just be a better member of society in general. Um, Just in the sense that um, I can navigate things a little bit better if my mind is not clouded with the anxieties of the world. If... Um, and we, I mean, we have so many things. We, we were talking about the um, police brutality, or, but it's not just that. It's um, <laughs> it's just racism in general, the way the system is set up for us to fail. Um, there are just so many different things. There, there are um, also research studies very good ones that show that the impact of systemic racism um, down the road, like slavery being, our ancestors being slaves impacts us for the simple fact that they were slaves. Forget the system, but the, the stress of being a slave impacts us generations. And it ain't that long ago. But generations right. down the road. Like, no, they love to say that. Like acting like they it was do. It was a so long time long ago. ago. No. Like you should get over it. The last living, the last living slave died in like mid-century 1900s. It, it, it was like it was like, fairly recent. 
I mean, recent in the sense that uh, our grandparents were alive at the very least. I'm pretty sure our parents might have been. You know, Um, so it's it's so much that getting our mental health under control um, or not. I won't say under control. That's a terrible way to put that. But managed having our mental health being managed um, can have such a huge impact on so many different parts of our lives. Absolutely. And I think to to piggyback on what you were saying a second ago about black men going to going to therapy, um, it's like there's a stigma around it also that, oh, if I go to therapy, that must mean I'm weak. Yeah. Mentally weak. You know, I don't need to do that. I'm like, you know, we we pride ourselves in being strong. Mm-hmm. Ain't that right, Joy? That's Joy, everyone. But uh, <laughs> you know, just we pride ourselves in being strong and being able to take care of our families. And then, you know, we just yeah. we can just carry the burdens of the world, you know, with no problems. You know, we we, we take problems and we just and we deal with it. And, you know, we, we how long we, how long we've we been told that that's what we're supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. That's my point is that we keep being told that we have to solve everyone's problems, but we can't go to anyone to help us solve ours. No, you know, and we should be able to solve it ourselves. Yeah, ourselves without <laughs> and even if, going to consult with anybody or, you know, and if you can't, you are weak or yeah, exactly. You are, or exactly. You're not you're not a man. You're less than a man. You must you not must be not a be man, man if you uh, if you need help with this, that or the right. other thing. And not even realizing that going to get help is the thing that's probably going to make you stronger. I like, personally believe that it's, it takes a lot more strength to seek help. Yeah. And then it does one just, that you can ask the right questions to to help agreed. you get yeah. stronger. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And you guys speak again, you speak to the the again the primary barriers that I believe that black men face when it goes it comes to seeking the counseling support. That that thought of weakness. For the guy who's going in that has challenges with emotional uh, management, like they have emotional instability because they have anxiety or because they have depression or because there's something else going on that was a trauma in their life, they're already codifying themselves as a person that has has a propensity to not be strong. And so to say, now I'm going to go get help for this issue makes me feel even less strong or weaker. And, and it's just not true. It's not real. Um, but to get in the room and have someone be able to actually support you in the conversation is, is, is important. And, and, and if you don't get in the room, you can't realize the validation that you're, you're seeking um, because it's, 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 you know, it's, we're talking about mental health. It's in your head most of the time. And so the only way to not feel the effects of the depression and the anxiety in the way that you're experiences it, experiencing it even right now is to get it from inside the head out into the open, talking with somebody and being able to say, hey, you know what? Um, I am feeling down today or I'm lacking motivation today or today I, I woke up and for whatever reason, I started crying and I could not stop. And a man to be able to say that is... It's, it's not a weakness because they're helping me as their their therapist identify, um, you know, symptomolo- symptomology, if you will, of, of the condition that they're experiencing, whether that condition is depression or simply grief. Like, yeah, you 
you, you should have woke up this morning and cried uncontrollably. You just had a significant loss in your family. And sometimes the way you deal with loss from a grief standpoint is to cry. And mm-hmm. that doesn't make you weak. That just means that you're human, which thank God you're human because I, I can't do counseling with a robot, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, 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 it's part of the process. Um, it, there's just so many different things that keep black men from getting the support that they need, that if we as a, a group of brothers on this podcast can encourage you um, to just put those things aside at least once, put them aside at least once and go see your doctor about, about you know, a prostate check. Go put them aside for just a moment um, and, and, and go see a therapist about these feelings of, and emotions that you're having. I, I don't understand why I can never get along with my mom or I can never get along with my dad. I don't know where that comes from. Um, and then tell the story a little bit. And, and sometimes it might be just as simple as that one session that turns a switch on that helps you move forward. But then you might say, you know what, this was actually good for me and I want to do more of it. And in that respect, that gives you an access point to go deeper in the processing of those emotions and those feelings. Jeff, I uh, want to go uh, in a direction, and you happen to be—you um, have your—you have your—I don't want to say your foot in two different fields because it's not that you are who you are. And you happen to be in both, you, but your who you are and what you do are connected in this way. Because you are a counselor and because you are a pastor, this is something I think that we really um, have to hit on, especially since we're talking about spiritual applications to life, right? Absolutely. So the church has been a problem from a mental health standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um. There are so many times where, and I see it now for what it is, because I'm an adult, and I, but I would see people who I would promise you had a mental health that I now know is a mental health disorder, and they would be told to pray it away, or they weren't together spiritually, or they're not living right, things of that nature. So how... Um, how this is this might be a, a question that is not answerable in the time we have left on this podcast or really in any reasonable amount of time tune in next time for the next refresh you podcast next, <laughs> next, next, next refresh podcast next refresh channel same refresh channel ha. the question is how do we um deal with that like in the black community especially our men who are, for whatever reason, put on pedestals in that particular aspect of our culture, whether it be pastors like yourself or deacons or elders or just men in the church seen, they see are supposed to be seen as going back to what we were talking about, the strong one, the uh, unfallible one, the, um, you know, yeah, I think I think that's enough explanation. I think it's a, a lot of explanation. You're going to have me pissing off 
the church members and the rest of the pastors in the country, um, based on the two things that you just told me, um, it's very important that I say that because I'm going to piss you off. First and foremost, family and friends, everyone that's listening to me, hear my voice and hear me good. Your pastor, unless he is skilled and he has a credential in this field, is not a therapist. He is not a therapist. He is not qualified to provide mental health counseling therapy. He is a spiritual counselor. He can access you, help you access uh, perspectives of your life from a faith standpoint. He is not qualified. And I'm saying this out loud because, and I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a story. I'm going to put somebody else on blast in my past. I'm not going to say names, but they'll know who they are if they ever listen. Um, But uh, they are not qualified to help you work through um, issues that are related, even watch this, to your marriage. They're not. They are pastors. They are called to preach the word of God and give you spiritual guidance. A therapist has skills and education and credentials that help you work through these other problems. I'm not saying don't go and seek your pastor for spiritual guidance in these circumstances. I am just saying they are not the reliable resource to help you work through them. So pastors, if you're pissed off at me, you can email me personally and we can have a conversation. You're not qualified. You're just not. You have to go to school for this. And, 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 and I say that because when I was having challenges in my relationship early on, the church and my, my wife and I went to um, the, the pastor tried to counsel us. And, and tried to tell us how to work through our problems from a spiritual standpoint. We didn't have spiritual problems. Both of us loved the Lord. We both had strong faith. We had a relational problem. She and I could not get along. We needed to figure out how to get better along. And there was no praying that I could do. There was no time of fasting that I could do. I couldn't show up to so many services on a Sunday and a Wednesday and a Tuesday. Uh, none of that was going to fix what was broken in our relationship. So while I love that pastor, all of the advice and insight that he was trying to give never got us healthy. What got us healthy was our determining that we needed something in a more professional standpoint. And I won't, I won't say that we went to a whole lot of counseling sessions, but I will say that I went to a lot of counseling sessions personally, and we worked through it. And I worked through my issues with a professional skilled in that area. So if you have a mental health disorder, um, uh, diagnosable, let's talk about it, um, uh, depression, anxiety, um, schizophrenia, uh, personality disorder. Um, Here's a a big one that um, black children um, get uh, stigmatized with and obsession, um, not obsessive, but oppositional defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. These things. Uh, Listen, lay your hands on the children, pray for the children, and then send them somewhere where they can work through this stuff. They can get some counseling and support that they need. Pray for them all day long. And 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 listen, I, I'm not in denial that there, there are miracles in the world and God does miracles. Yes, he can do a miracle. But let's also qualify that miracle by sending them to a professional and saying, you know what? I don't think I see anything wrong. Let the professional be the determinant of whether or not that, that issue is still there or not. Don't lay hands on them and then tell them not to go get another resource. Lay hands on them and then send them. Send them somewhere where they can get the support. It's very important to do that. 
And I don't think that there are enough pastors in 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 this country, especially, that are willing to take that truth out and, and say, yeah, you're right. I'm not negating what the Holy Spirit and God can do. Yes, he's a miracle worker. We understand that. But he is also one that gives us resources and access to professionals who work in these fields that can qualify the work that he does. And that's what's important. And we need to make sure that we do that. So that's side A. On the B side of that tape <laughs> is your pastor, your deacon, your elder, your leaders in the church are people. They mm-hmm. are people first. They are God called them before they were born, where they before they were formed in their mother's womb. But they were before they were formed in their mother's womb. They still had to go through a process of becoming what God was calling them to. He says, "I in in in, in um, Jeremiah one and six, he says, uh, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I had ordained you to be a prophet to the nations." That word ordained means I had set you, set apart. you apart. That yeah. does not mean that you were already that. You had mm-hmm. to go through a process of becoming. Jeremiah had to go through a process of becoming a prophet to the nations. He was ordained for the purpose, and he had to find a path to get himself there through God. And so that being said, if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor, let me hear me clearly. If you are a pastor, if you are a elder, if you are a deacon or a leader in the church, a prophet, apostle, teacher, evangelist, whatever, if, if, and you have issues— you are foolish to continue to try to provide sound spiritual care for a flock when you have a condition that is absolutely going to compromise your effectiveness. If you have an issue with a sexual disorder that's causing you to prey on the sheep and the lambs in your flock, Hmm. please step aside from your job. Please stop doing the work of the Lord because you're tainting and ruining the work of the Lord for people who want to have faith in God because now they can't come to church because they can't trust people at the church. I know I'm talking here and this is just the truth. Like Mm -hmm. they, they are people first. They are not infallible. They are capable of having mental health issues. They are capable of having some of the same problems that you experience in your day-to-day life. And man of God, woman of God, hear me good. If you're dealing with those things, the most practical thing you can do is go to a mental health professional and say, how do I work through this problem? Because it's having an impact or an effect on what I do in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the, the third part of that is for congregants. Congregants, hear me, please, because this is important. Your love for your pastor and your love for your man of God or woman of God is, 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 is most effective when you let them be humans that God has called instead of letting them be gods that have some human aspects. Don't do that. Just they, they're people. And if you place them in a space where they can't fall, when they fall, it won't crush them as much as it'll crush you. Mm-hmm. And then you now you've dealing with issues, the trauma of church hurt and brokenness because your pastor or your spiritual leader fail. You just can't do that. And so there's there's so much to that. I know we don't have a whole lot of time to delve into it. Maybe we'll talk about it some more in a future conversation because it's a great conversation to have. But, uh, you know, I, I was reading a scripture today where it says, you know, don't let anybody call you teacher. Don't let anybody call you pastor. Don't let me call you rabbi. Don't let them call you these things. Why? Because you only have one teacher. You only have one rabbi. You only have one pastor. And that's God the Father and the work that he does through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I, I, I was 
told that I was going to let somebody else do the spiritual segue today, but apparently uh, you Holy up. Spirit let it. You did. Well, that, was great you t- that was a great surf. Great that surf. was uh, if we were due to time constraints, if we would have recorded last week. But, you know, we don't have those same time constraints today. So I, I figured <laughs> I also figured that you would, you know, handle that part of the podcast. Yeah, and, you did, it's, it's, and you did so well. You nailed it. I appreciate it. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. I think that last part of um, letting the leaders be human is important, not just for in the church, but outside of, because just like black men in our, in the black church are seen as are put on pedestals. A lot of times black men in the community are also put on pedestals because they've achieved a certain uh, status or whatever that they're the OGs now. And they uh, get, get seen in the community and they get propped up so high. And then, like you said, Jeff, when they fall, because like, like <laughs> I'm not going to call his name, but oh boy, who got charged with uh, how many of them came out <laughs> and said that they were assaulted. That they were, he was putting mollies in their drinks. A lot. So many. So, so many. We myself included had put him so high up and shouldn't have because man's was on stage talking about things that he that he was doing to people but we as the community because of the things that he had done for other members of our community propped him up so high that his fall from grace was so far and we see it so many times with uh, uh, particularly black popular uh, preachers and leaders um, in the church when they fall, it's a drastic one from a societal standpoint when they knew where they were in the first place, but we wouldn't let them be human beings. And I cannot imagine the pressure that's on a church leader at all um, from that standpoint, where so many people are elevating you to a status higher than what you've even been called to do, let alone what you're capable of doing. And then mm-hmm. being up there making a s- slipping one time. And now they are holding you responsible for their uh, for their failures. It doesn't even have to be such a, you know, humongous failure. Like with the no. guy whose name that we're not saying. He who uh, shall not be named. <laughs> right. But it could be something as simple as seeing a pastor come out the liquor store. Legit. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it. We got to change churches. I, I should have known he was an alcoholic. No, that doesn't mean they're an alcoholic. Maybe they just wanted a daiquiri. You know, like, or some E&J. Maybe, maybe, maybe they like they some just E&J. Wanted a glass of cognac. The Bible says that a little bit of wine is good for the gut. Good for the gut. That's, what, that's what Paul told Timothy. Yeah, I that's what nice, I'm saying. A nice red cab. You know, exactly. That doesn't mean that he's got a steak at home and he wants to enjoy that cowboy. Yeah, right. I can't blame him. No, can't, can't blame him. But when you raise these people up, you know, you elevate them to the point where they're devoid of error, and that and that's not even an error. You right. know, no, 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 so it's not. It's, but when you raise them up that high, and all of a sudden, you know, you you like you said, it just it just makes them to a point where they didn't even put themselves at. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and exactly. It that, give, you know, that's not fair. It's not fair. That at point. All. That point of allowing them to be human is so real because, 
you know, my pastor when I was growing up, I I I won't say I worshipped him. That's probably too strong of a word for uh to be as young as I was, but he you was held so him in good. a very high regard. I held him in a really high regard. Um, and I still do. And I'm grateful for everything that he uh led our family through. But I could see just how people uh worshipped him. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see how my current pastor gets worshiped to a degree. Um, and he, I, Pastor Moore is the first to tell you that he's a human. <laughs> I <laughs> he's think the you first have to. to tell you. I think you have to re- constantly remind yes. people that you're a human when you're uh, in a leadership position, especially in someone's uh, leadership position in the church. Because Correct. people will quickly forget. You know, and start, that you are and start worshiping you. Yeah, and start worshiping you. So you have to remind <laughs> them and show them the journey that it took, you know, share different parts of your past. You know, like our, our old pastor used to share that he was a gam- he was a gambler. Oh, he, so he shared that often. <laughs> often. He let us know. But you have to let them know, like, and give them examples of like, hey, I am human. Yeah. You know, but I am here to do my job. I'm here to do what I'm called for. But that doesn't mean that yeah. I am also not flawed, just like y'all are. And that goes back to that relatability piece we were talking about earlier. How can you lead me through something if you act like you've never been through anything? Mm-hmm. You need somebody that knows where you're coming from. You don't have I, to have I'm the same personal, experience. You don't have to journey. have the same experience with me. But if you've had some experience, then you can share that with me. Absolutely. And I'll tell you the way that I do is uh, just like your pastor said, um, you know, he had challenges with gambling. He was talking about a past challenge. But here's the crazy thing is, even though it was a past challenge and it was something that he would probably have never indulged in again, it doesn't mean that when those numbers look good, it didn't mean he didn't (laughs) think about going out and getting that, you know, ticket, you know, saying or, you know, that's what I mean by being human. I don't have to actually engage in the 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 problem um, to still have it um, attached to me in some form or fashion. And that's especially true when it comes to uh, living life and having experiences with depression and anxiety. And, and I, I keep saying those two because those are two of the bigger ones that everyone would understand. But, um, you know, it, all of that stuff is very, very important for us to recognize and realize. Let me throw this statistic in there real quick and then we gotta get ready to wrap this up. Um, But black men are not receiving the help they need for any of the problems they experience. For example, only 26.4% of blacks and Hispanic men's between the ages of 18 and 44 who experienced daily feelings of anxiety or depression were likely to have used mental health services compared to 45.4% of non-Hispanic white men with the same feelings. What's that saying? It's only 26.4 of black men and Hispanic men were actually going out and getting the support that they needed. And the rest weren't going out and getting it. It, it, There's, again, there are barriers. There are access points that are hard to get to, but there are also resources right within your community that can, you can, you can find ways to break through those barriers. The question is, is do you feel like you can go to the process of breaking through those barriers and opening yourself up to trying to get the support and help that you need? If you're open to that, then my recommendation is 
to just reach out for the support. You know, you can start with your pastor. Hey, you know, I'm having these feelings. Uh, I listened to a podcast and the, the, the pastor slash therapist on there said, you ain't qualified to help me with this. <laughs> so, you know, where should I go? <laughs> and, and and you can give him my name. That way he can look me up and he can find my credentials as well as the fact that I'm a pastor. That way he know I'm not just throwing shade. I'm just telling the truth. Um, but open yourself to the idea that maybe it could help. And then invite yourself to find a resource. Uh, if I'm not, in, if you're not in the state of California, you can't seek me out. If you are in the state of California, I'm welcome to entertain a conversation. More than happy to. And then I've, I'm, I'm developing a network of colleagues across the country so that I can try to be a place where I can point people in other states to that same support. Um, if nothing else, there's a ton of apps nowadays that will allow for you to do counseling right online. Uh, uh, the Shameless Plug is one of the organizations I work for is Cerebral.com. Go on there and, and, and they'll get you signed up. And sometimes they let you even use insurance. If you can't afford it, you know, then reach out to your local community clinics and they'll find resources for you. And just go in and simply ask, do you know any African-American males that are therapists that are in the local area um, that might be able to help me? I would feel more comfortable in that environment. I don't know how many times uh, doctors um, get referred because they're black. <laughs> it's just what it is. So it, it's the same for counseling. Um, so that so that's my bit. I hope that you all um, enjoyed this. I hope it was informative. I hope that I didn't talk you and bore you to death. I hope that you are with us next time uh, as we prepare to uh, delve into some more topics on the Refresh Podcast. Definitely tweet us at the Refresh Podcast um, or Instagram us at the Refresh Podcast or go to Facebook and find us on there and like us, the Refresh Podcast. Like us, follow us on all of those and email us at the Refresh Podcast at writeme, W-R-I-T-M-E dot com. We're getting better at this. W-R-I-T-E-M-E yep. dot oh, wait, com. Never mind. I spoke too soon. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will say maybe we can put, um, Jeff, since, since y'all's um, organization does have that website. Maybe we can put that in the uh, podcast description. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's com, And then maybe if we can find some other kind of national resources that you rely on. Um, Refresh podcast uh, will do just that. Psychology yeah. Today is where you can find a lot of therapists and you can filter that out. Um, to look for black men in your local area or close by. And the cool thing is, is that most therapists right now are providing counseling via telehealth. So you can be anywhere in the state nice. and connect with that person from where you are. You don't have to just try to get to them. So that's a beautiful thing that has come out of this COVID world is that therapists are now more virtual than ever. Awesome, man. Hey, check this out real quick. Before we get out of here, you know, he mentioned that there was a lot of apps you know, for it to help with mental health and a lot of, uh, you know, apps to deal with therapy. Facebook is not one of them that he is talking about. So <laughs> correct. I don't put all that stuff on your Facebook wall or in the comments section, you know, unless you're going on Facebook to find a licensed therapist so that you can consult with them personally. That's it. Don't air out all your problems on Facebook because yeah. nine times out of 10, you're not going to get the proper help that you probably deserve and need. I did so well holding my face steady this entire podcast. And that made me turn my face up for so many people do that. That's why I got this off of Facebook. It's important to say. It's important yeah. to say, man. We appreciate y'all listening. Thank you yep. for joining us. Thank you. We hope y'all uh, stick with us. 
Yes, appreciate absolutely. it. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we're doing it again. So, uh, and until next time, appreciate y'all. All right. All right. Peace. Peace.